We'll have you stay up here for a second. Um, our uh, staff has uh, talked often and commented on how we have always enjoyed our Q&A time. And we'd like to take advantage of that just for a second. We're playing things by ear here. And uh, you being a radio talk show host have a lot of questions that come impromptu. Mm -hmm. I just want to find out, are there any questions that you might have regarding asking questions or engaging others? Just raise your hand. We'd like to get this on tape. So uh, raise your hand and I'll bring the microphone over to you. We'll have a little bit of time okay, for that. Okay, Keith was first, I think. Okay. You mentioned the radio show. Yes, sir. Okay, does that come across on the internet, or is that? Well, it's um, I'm broadcast live in Southern California on Sundays from three until five LA time, which is your time, and uh, uh, then on the American Family Radio Network around the country. But I don't know the times for that. You can go to our website to find that out. However, having said that, the best way to listen to the show is to listen to it on podcast if you're able. If you're not able to listen to it on podcast, because you can take it with you anywhere you go, you don't have to worry about reception, getting the right time, being in the right city. Um, if you're not uh, going to listen on podcast, you can actually go to our website and then just punch it and listen to it through the computer if you wanted to do that. That would be the best way to do it. Um, I don't know if the American Family Radio has an outlet here in Seattle or not for us, but AFR. But on our website, str.org, Go to the radio section, and it'll have all of the, the information about where we're being broadcast. Thanks, Keith. Questions? Raise your hand. I'll come right over. Hi, Greg. Um, Hi. I have a question about how do you decide in which direction to go when you're answering a question? Yeah. So I was listening to one of your, I don't know if it was last week's or the weeks before, uh, some man called up and said, uh, he didn't believe in anything material. Right, right. And you start talking about, well, end, thoughts, hypotheses, those aren't material. Right. And then you kind of tried to lead him down right, that right. path. And I, I'm driving in my car, and I'm thinking, I would have never thought about going yeah, that direction. Okay, I would sure. have probably yeah, done well, that's something easy to answer. more of a poor the, the, man's The atheist called in, and he's a materialist. A materialist is somebody who doesn't believe in anything immaterial. Souls are immaterial. God is immaterial. Morality is immaterial. Moral obligations. Oh, there are a lot of immaterial things. In fact, we, we are in contact with these things all the time. But he's going to deny something that he can't experience through one of the five senses. And so he wanted to be to you know, persuade him or give him reasons why I ought to think that immaterial things existed. And um, I was able to answer his question, and I'll give you in just a moment how I pursued that, because of the training that I had in philosophy. If I did not have the training in philosophy on that issue, I would not have been able to pursue it that way. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to have training in philosophy in order to pursue that question. All you need to do is listen to the podcast. <laughs> and, and I'm a translator. Uh, I'm a translator. I take that stuff, and then I translate it into a way that's easy. So here's, what, here's, I, here's the series of questions I asked him using my technique, getting some foundational information down. He said, I said, so you don't believe in any immaterial things? No. So you believe everything is material, right? How do you know something is material? Well, it has material qualities. It extends in space. It has weight. It, it responds to uh, the laws of physics and chemistry. Now, I was prompting him with some of these things because he was not going, I know this just from talking to people, if I ask the guy, how does he know something's material, he's not going to be able, he, he's, he's, 
he's foundering a little bit, you know. So, well, they have material qualities. Oh, yeah, there you go. Well, they, they extend in space. Okay, they respond to chemistry, the laws of chemistry and physics. And then he said, usually. I said, wait a minute. What material thing doesn't respond to the laws of chemistry and physics? Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Okay, great. So now we got a definition of a material thing. And he had just said that, um, that materialism, uh, that the belief in immaterial objects was a theory. It was a hypothesis. He's using these words. So he is acknowledging that things like theories and hypotheses exist, right? But he also said that only material things exist, right? So therefore, if theories exist, then theories must be physical, which means they extend in space, which means they have physical qualities. Now you're looking at me and you're going, wait, that's crazy because theories don't have those qualities. And, your answer, and the answer is yes, they don't have those qualities because they're not physical. Which is proof that materialism is false. And that was the line of thinking that I was pursuing. But I was able, by asking the questions, I'm getting all these pieces out in front of me that he's affirming, and then I just put them all together and he's got no place to go. Except for to say, well, you're wrong. No, 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 you don't understand. You, you, that, that's just a trait, that's just a, a, a line of thinking or something. He said, yeah. I said, well, okay, does a line of thinking extend in space? <laughs> does, does it respond to the laws of physics? No, see, none of these things are physical. We are in touch with all kinds of things. None of your thoughts are physical. Now, people are going to say, well, yeah, your brain chemistry, yeah, your brain chemistry is physical, but your brain chemistry is not your thoughts. Even if they're correlated, one is not the other, because thoughts do not have physical qualities, and your brain does. It's very simple, in a way. It's my background in philosophy that allowed me to see the problem and then pursue that line of thinking. There, so, Another question? That was just too much, all that immaterial stuff, man. I just, <laughs> whoa, I need a break. My brain is full. Okay, if not, we're there gonna... in the back right okay, there. Right. She'll be brave. I just wanted to ask, uh, do, you use, do you use tracks or what do you carry with you oh, I, as I, far as material to hand out and give to people for them to continue thinking? Yeah, I have a friend named Ray Comfort who <laughs> is a track wild man, you know, and God bless him. We are friends and I've been on his show and we've gotten together for things and so... Uh, I like Ray, but his style is not my style. And um, a lot of people can't, don't, don't feel comfortable using tracks. Um, tracks have a place, I think. Um, a lot of them end up being wasted because they use it and people throw them away, you know, but then some hit the mark. I will say in my own personal testimony, there was a time when a tract had a big impact on me. It's in my testimony. And that tract was Creator or Liar is the name of that particular chick tract. They were real popular in the, in the Jesus movement of the 70s, 60, early, yeah, early 70s. But I don't use them personally. And the reason is, is I am trying to, I'm working really hard to not fulfill stereotypes, negative stereotypes that people have. So I'm not saying giving tracts is a bad thing. However, a lot of non-Christians, I think, think it's corny. That's what Christians do. They stuff a track in your face. So I don't want to stuff a track at somebody and have him make a, draw a conclusion about me, a negative conclusion about me. I have a different way of doing it. I'd rather just have a little chat. I've got a game plan that accomplishes for me what the track 
would normally accomplish. Now, uh, Ray is very clever. He's a very funny guy. You cannot be with him five minutes and he's not like, you know, shaking your hand with a buzzer in it or something like that, you know, <laughs> using a woofy cushion. You know, he's got all of these, he's got all of these little clever things and he'll show you pictures of this big strong man with his face in it and every time you turn around he's doing these things. So he's kind of a jokester and he's a funny guy and he can get people to laugh and he gets them relaxed and that's his style. He's very direct but he also has this gift. Um, not everybody can do that. So I'd say glean what you can from the people who have techniques that you like and are comfortable with and, uh, and, and use, find your own uh, style, if you will. And, and Ray and Kirk, they offer a certain kind of thing and I love their, their Kirk lives in my community. Our kids went to the same school for a while. So um, we get to see each other now and again, but um, uh, I'm with them, We're, I'm on their side, but I don't do things the way they do it. Now, Ray is the kind of guy who's going to say, get to the gospel in every conversation. So, yeah, I just don't think that's sound advice. Oh, there's a hand, another hand. Uh, is it Je Je Jenny? Je is that right? No. Did I get that right? Yes. Yeah, I did. You did. Yeah, great. So I'm just wondering, I'm thinking, just thinking things through. Okay. Um, I guess a verse is coming to my mind about how sometimes the gospel will be um, for some, like, the fragrance of life and... Yeah, like, 2 Corinthians 4. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes and it four, will be, like, sort of, you know, the stench of death or maybe it's, it's sort of, like, it can be divisive. And so I was just wondering, um, like, the times when maybe, I don't know, we're talking to someone and, and maybe it, it seems to go against like... It's it ugly. But yeah, like maybe, maybe you do feel like you're praying and, and you just feel like God is prompting you or you just feel burdened to share the gospel and yet it's kind of like out of place. It's not necessarily... Like, I think you should follow your own judgment in that mm -hmm. and what, what seems appropriate. I, I'm a little suspicious of, of um, the, the kind of the felt-led theology. I'll explain some of that. But I think also clearly God... God can work on us subjectively to get us to move. We have an impulse to do something. We think, I, I'm going to go talk to that person. I think the Lord, you know, many times is in that. So you just have to follow your best instincts. The, the best, look at, now, you want to proceed with wisdom, and wisdom is making right decisions, and the best way to get wisdom is to make a lot of bad decisions, and you learn which is which, <laughs> right? I mean, this is the way life works. I don't think, and we'll talk more about this tomorrow, but I don't think what the, the solution to this is learning how to really tune into God so God's telling you what to do and when to do it. I don't think it works that way. And there's no New Testament evidence for that kind of thing. But, but I think taking the commands and the directives of the New Testament and then trying to put them in play and seeing how that works out in experience is the best way to do it. Sometimes you'll follow, uh, you know, an instinct, as it were, and uh, it goes nowhere. Uh, sometimes you're not even thinking about things, and all of a sudden you're there, and, and you're open and willing to let the Lord use you. There was a, there was a guy, like a hip-hop guy, that got it, sat down next to me. I was sitting on the airplane, okay, now, and, and there was an empty seat next to me, and it was mostly filled up in the airplane. And there was a guy, who was about 25 years old, a black guy, young man, coming down with the long white t-shirt and, you know, who knows where his belt line was, but, uh, and his hat on cockeyed and all kinds of jewelry like this, and I am praying for him. 
and I am praying, Lord, don't let him sit next to me. <laughs> Not because I had anything against him. It was just like, this is a totally, you know, Venus and Mars kind of thing. You know, it's like we're on different planets. But um, he ended up sitting right next to me. And I promise you, in like eight minutes, we were talking about Jesus. And I don't know how we got there. But, but uh, he said, when, when the issue came up, and I kind of introduced it somehow, and I don't even know how it was, uh, he said, you know what? I've been really thinking a lot about spiritual things lately. And I've been wondering about it. I said, I've got to figure this part of my life out. And, and I'm sitting there going, <laughs> you know, it's, you never know is the point. I had prejudged the circumstance, and it turns out this is the guy that was spiritually open. So, um, you know, sometimes, and other times you, you think, oh, this is going somewhere, and it goes nowhere at all. So you, you just never know. And I, I follow, your, follow your best wisdom at the moment, and then try to learn from the circumstances. Yeah. Here's a hand right here, and maybe more there. See, you guys are starting to get warmed up now. We're going to say, all right. He's not so scary after all. So I had a question about, uh, you said, um, if you get mad or the other person gets mad, then we, we, we lose or we lose. Right. So if that does happen, how do you recover from that? If, if it what, does happen? Yeah, if you get mad or the other person gets mad. Or what, well, you know, my kids have a call out uh, in their school, and they said, if you do it wrong, you make it right. That's the call out. You do it wrong, you make it right, is what they're supposed to respond to. Well, that's good, good wisdom. So if it turns out, that you, 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 you get out of line, the hardest thing to do is, at that point is the thing that you ought to do. Just kind of apologize, say, wait, I'm just getting hot under the collar or got a little defensive there or something. Maybe we'll start over or whatever. Or uh, possibly if you, you can't retrieve that, then you, you make a mental note of it and you try to avoid that circumstance in the past. I mean, in the future. Sometimes you're, you're kind of caught in the emotions of it, and so it's getting a little bit raw. And so you're not, you're not outside of yourself assessing, oh, man, I'm kind of getting a little bit ugly there. I better calm down. You know, uh, it's only afterwards you realize, boy, I was kind of a jerk. Or maybe your wife will tell you, you were kind of a jerk, you know, <laughs> something in that one. And I'll, I get feedback from my staff, you know, in the show. I said, you're a little hard on that guy there, Greg. So, but I appreciate the feedback because it allows me then to adjust a little bit. So if it goes south on you, it depends on the reason. If you're the cause of it, then, you know, either try to take a deep breath, settle down, apologize a little bit, or, or if, if you're out of that situation, just make note of it for the future. If it turns out that you're not the person that's out of line, but the other person got mad, and you can't always control the other person. Obviously, you can't control the other person at all. And sometimes they get mad not because of something you did, but because of the message. Well, then you've got to let, let the message just lie. There's, n there's no fix for that. Um, the way I put it in the ambassador, when I talk about being an ambassador, and I talk about the character, attractive manner, character of a good ambassador in an attractive manner, I say that the gospel is offensive enough. Don't add any more offense to it, okay? Don't make it harder on people than it already is. It's plenty hard, okay, with attitude or anything like that. However, you can't remove the offense that's inherent to the gospel, the gospel is centered on the cross of Christ. People have to acknowledge their sin and bend their knee to their sovereign. That's, that's it. There's no shortcut to that. And if we remove that, we've, we've, we've eviscerated the gospel. So sometimes we are not adding more offense, 
But when you get to the gospel, people are mad about the nature of the cross itself. And, and there's nothing we could do about that. We have to make our message as clear and persuasive and gracious as possible. And we let, we let it lie after that. Let's see. About how many questions does it take to you to get to the to the meat of the questions? Or uh, like, how many hey, questions you know does it take or? before what? <laughs> how many questions does it take for you to to get to a good discussion? Uh, gosh, that's <laughs> three and a half. <laughs> I shoot for three and a half questions every single time. I figure that's an e that's a nice medium. It's every situation is completely different. Every situation is completely different, and. And it's the question. It was kind of a little bit funny for you to hear the question because it's like, oh, I got It sounded a little bit like, okay, it, that's really hard to do. How, how many do I have to commit myself to, you know, to get this to do this technique? It's actually really easy. It, it's it's part of, in a certain sense, this is the kind of stuff what we should be teaching our kids. Ask at least at least half a dozen questions in every conversation. Draw people out, you know, get to know other people. And um, some people are very good at that, by the way. The pastors, for example, he's, he's really good at that. And, and he kept asking me questions and all the way from the airport. So, um, <laughs> and he was smiling the whole time I was talking. I, so <laughs> it's like he's doing now, see? Um, so, so it just, it, during my entire conversation with people, I'm using the question, uh, plan. There are three ways to use the questions. I'm using first questions to gather information just to get going. Once I get going, I'm using a different kind of question to use the second part of the game plan and a, and a, a third type of question to do the third part of the game plan. So the questions are throughout. And the reason I use questions is because it makes it so much easier. It makes it so much easier easier. I know you're looking like, how is that possible? Because you're the guy who likes to talk probably, right? And you come, and I, that's me. I like to talk. I'm the teacher guy. And so I want to tell everybody everything I know, you know, all the time. And so that can be a little tedious. But if we learn to ask the question and listen, things go much more smoothly and even easier for us talkative people. You know, I've gotten to the point now, like with Evan, I was comfortable just sitting there and listening to him. Now, Evan was also kind of interesting, so that made it easier. But sometimes people aren't always that interesting. But, <laughs> but uh, the, the, uh, I just, uh, yeah, there's no, uh, I follow my game plan and, until, I, uh, until I, it runs its course. Sometimes that's two minutes later, I figure this isn't going anywhere, and so I let it die a natural death. Sometimes I get, you know, in his case, uh, you know, we, I don't know, we talked about 15, 20 minutes on the issue proper that I was trying to get him to think, think about. And, uh, and other times we talk the whole flight or we have a long conversation. And then, so it's just, it's different in every circumstance. The examples that you mentioned, um, the ultimate sort of things that you want them to think about, one is the origin of life with Evan, in that one, particular yeah. case, that was the stone I was thinking I could put right. in issue. The other one was the sanctity of life issue with the Wiccan. Yes, that's and right. Yeah. So do you have a list of where are these ultimate questions? No, uh -uh. Get them? I don't. I, what, uh -huh. I, I just have a, I'm trying to make a difference in that person's life for, for either 
in a certain sense, moving them closer to the gospel, or if it's on an ethical issue, getting them to, to think or act more consistently with good, sound ethics. Now, I don't think, even if the, the, the witch becomes pro-life, she is not going to get saved in virtue of that. But some baby's life might not be sacrificed if she's pro-life. So it is good to persuade people to live virtuous lives. It's, it's, you look in Proverbs and it talks about, you know, when, when, uh, uh, about how countries prosper when the people are virtuous. It's not talking about salvation. It's talking about improving their, their good conduct or what, what used to be called their manners, you know, their moral behavior. Um, Wilberforce had two goals in life. You know, Wilberforce, the, the Brit who was responsible for stopping the slave trade in Great Britain. His two, his two goals were to stop the slave trade and improve manners. And there it means public morals. And both are noble enterprises. So if I'm having a conversation, I'm just paying attention. Sometimes people will ask, well, why would you just decide to go to the pro-life thing with the witch? Why didn't you go another way? I said, I didn't really decide that. It just seemed to be the way the conversation went. Oh, I, I, we respect all life, she said. Well, it's a no-brainer for me. You're pro-life then, aren't you? Now, if she said, yeah, I am pro-life, then uh, the conversation would have gone somewhere else. We were in agreement on that, so maybe it would have gone elsewhere. But when she said, no, I'm not pro-life, I said, well, isn't that odd? The next thought I had was, isn't it odd to be respect all life but be pro-choice with abortion? Does it, isn't that odd? It is odd, isn't it? And she admitted it, and, the, and on it went. So it, it, these conversations kind of take on a life of their own, I think, and I'm, I'm just following the, what seems to be the, the, the most obvious course, if there is something obvious that presents itself. If not, then I'll try to think, well, gee, how do I maneuver here? How can I get to something? Then maybe I'll pursue something else and see if, if the door opens there. And some, many times it doesn't open at all. I, I, was, I was at a restaurant last fall uh, with a bunch of my colleagues. We had a big evangelical theological uh, conference, ET, society, ETS and EPS, Evangelical Philosophical Society. I'm talking like thousands of theologians and evangelical Christian philosophers. And so when I go to this conference for four days, different parts of the country, you know, I, I meet up with a bunch of buddies that I haven't seen for a while. And we'll go out to eat and we'll carry on. And uh, in this particular restaurant, this was, restaurant was in like a haunted, haunted, it was a haunted building. And so this is part of the appeal to the restaurant. You, know, you come to the restaurant as the haunted restaurant. They'll give you tours for the haunted thing. So we're not, we didn't go there because of that. It just happened to be this place. And so I, I thought, well, there's a pretext to, to kind of touch on a spiritual thing with, um, with, uh, with, the, with the waiter. And so I started to ask him about the haunted thing. And he's talking a little bit about it. But see, the minute I start asking the questions of the waiter, then my other philosopher and theolo theology types at the table know that I'm starting to do my game plan deal. And so then they're all like this. Uh, Mary Jo Sharp was at the table. I don't know if any of you know Mary Jo Sharp, the, the apologist over at uh, Houston Baptist University. And she's had influence a lot by Stan Reason, so I'm kind of a mentor to her. So she stops her conversation, and she's listening in. Oh, for the pro, you know, who really do his moves here. And it was, a, the, it was the worst conversation I've had in my life with anybody. <laughs> it wasn't going anywhere, and I kept, oh, it was so awkward. But the guy didn't leave. He wanted to stay, and I'm not making any progress, so I'm still kind of 
herky-jerky trying to get this thing going, and it never went anywhere. And, and so I fell flat on my face in a certain sense with all of my colleagues watching, you know. <laughs> but that's the way it goes sometimes. Sometimes it, it, you never know how it's going to go. You can't control these things. Um, m usually these conversations are not absolutely tidy. Um, that's okay. You know, I tell the stories, I clean them up a little bit, so it makes it look like I was just flowing through this. Sometimes they're like this. Yesterday was nice and smooth, but other times it's not as tidy. And the thing with the witch was pretty tidy, too, but uh, other times it's just not as tidy, and um, it's just the way life is. So you, you just take your best shot. You got the Holy Spirit. You know, it's not up to you to make it happen. You just take your best shot, and sometimes it goes nowhere, and you feel a little silly, especially when your friends are watching you, and that's all right. Last one for this session. We'll have more opportunities later on. So I've been in, in a number of conversations where um, after a good deal of logical reasoning back and forth, you ultimately get to the point where it really is a question of faith and values, whether you put your faith in God, an invisible God, or if you put your faith in science or your values, what do you value more than something else? So some people value the choice to do whatever you want over the life of a baby um, or stuff of that nature. And even some people don't really care in the sense that they're perfectly fine in being mm -hmm. ignorant and being caught up <laughs> in false logic. Mm -hmm. So when you reach that point, is there any way to still you know, navigate through that and, and carry on the conversation to an effective manner, or do you yeah. really have to stand back and let it be? Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, uh, when you first started talking, what you meant by faith, because um, um, sometimes you say, well, you, you give the reasons, then, then do you, they, they put their faith in this or faith in that. Um, I'm suspicious of the word faith because I think it's, um, it's, it's uh, corrupted in... English language for our use. And so I don't use it because if you say faith, people attach phrases like leap of or blind. And so we say, well, you just have to have faith. It's almost like all of the arguments that you just offered don't even count in the discussion. I, I'm not saying that's your view. I'm just saying when we use that, that language. So um, I wouldn't say to a person, you just have to have faith. I'm going to say to him, you're going to have to make your own choice about this. What makes sense to you? given the evidence that I've just offered. I mean, that might be a way of, of, of accomplishing that same end there. Now, if the person is, is just like, I don't really care, well, I don't know what I could do with that. Then they don't care. I'm largely looking for the person who's looking for me. I can't create a hunger in a person. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And if I'm talking to somebody that has, is completely blasé about this, and they have no, in a certain sense, native hunger, uh, because of the work of the Spirit, then, then I'm not going to get anywhere with that person, and I'm just going to let it lie. I'm just going to move on to something else. I don't want to bruise the fruit. Um, I, I go as far as I can that is consistent with the person's interest level, and once I get to the end of that, then I don't pursue it. Um, sometimes, though, you have people, like you mentioned, where they listen to the arguments, and they're still going to follow their irrational course, and I think there are times where it's appropriate to point that out and, and, and say to them, this depends a lot on the nature of the interaction that you've had up to that point. 
But I try to be very kind of shoulder to shoulder, peer to peer, straightforward to people, ask questions, and, and, and say, you know what? And so therefore, I feel sometimes the comfort to be able to say, uh, I think you're being intellectually dishonest. And it doesn't hurt me, it hurts you. Because first you say what you really want is you, wanted, you want the truth. You, you, you're really about reason. That's what you're about. Say it's an atheist. We're about reason and rationality. And I said, okay, where did everything come from? And you said, everything came from nothing. Really? Okay, where else do you see anything like that happening? Nowhere. The Corvette doesn't just show up in the garage. Where'd that come from, honey? Uh, honey, where'd that come from? Uh, just appeared there, you know? It's just like, no, it's like nothing like that. So, so to say that the whole universe came into existence out of nothing is worse than magic. It's like in magic, you got a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat. But in this case, you don't have any magician. And you don't have any hat. You just have the rabbit, you know, kind of thing. So, so, you're, so I'm gonna, when, when, they, when they give me that whole line, first they're the rational guy, and then they, everything came from nothing, I'm going to say, all right, and you're comfortable with that, right, okay, then fine. I just want to point out that you claim you're taking the high road of rationality, yet at the same time you're telling me that, that, that everything came from nothing, which is the most impossible of all options. So you're being intellectually dishonest at this point. Now, if you're comfortable with that, all right, fine. I just wanted to point it out. Sometimes that's an appropriate thing to do. Okay, let's right. give uh, Greg a <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.